0: Another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva, here on this Sunday, July the 24th, 2016. Hope everybody's doing well. Of course, you can check out the show at MetsMoranizedOnline.com. Go over there, subscribe to an iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcasting service you desire. You can check me out on Twitter, at Mike Silva Media. And if you want to send me a personal note, MikeSilvaMedia.com. Hope everybody's having a great Sunday. Great Sunday for Mets fans, Mike Piazza inducted up in uh, Cooperstown. Very good speech. Had a chance to uh, just listen to it. Uh, also good Sunday because the Mets completed a 5-4 and four road trip. Hanging in there. They got some help from the San Diego Padres. They took two out of three from the Nationals this weekend. Um, Dodgers and Cardinals later on. Pirates win. A um, lot going on. The wild card uh, race is uh, is a bit of a muck uh, right now with, uh, with a bunch of teams all jumped together in the Mets. Let's put it this way. They have a golden, golden opportunity heading forward to uh, put themselves not only in a position to get right back into the division. The Nats are just not putting the Mets away, but um, to, to really make some moves here in the wild card. So, and I'll go through the schedule in just a minute. You're also, uh, in, in a little bit, here from Sal Akata of SNY, WOR. Sal subs in for Pete McCarthy at various points during the week. And uh, does a bunch of work on SNY, also uh, for Columbia Sports. We'll talk about Mike Piazza, get his Mike Piazza memories. Uh, also get into some of the, the discussions he had on his Thursday show about uh, some of his thoughts on Michael Conforto. Who, hey, listen, Sal wanted him in the lineup. That's a lot, a lot of what he talked about on Thursday. And he got Conforto in the lineup today, and Conforto made a nice play in center field, got a couple of hits. So we'll talk about that. Um, so Sal will be on later. You'll hear some clips. Not only from Piazza's speech, but I had a little montage of Mike Piazza highlights for you. You'll get to that. And I will give you some of my thoughts and memories on Mike Piazza and uh, really that era of Mets baseball. So a lot to talk about. But let's get to the current team. So like I said, 5-4 and four road trip, coming home for a nine-game homestand. This is critical for the Mets because I was looking at the schedule right now. The Mets, after today's Nationals loss, after beating the Marlins, the Cardinals have yet to play as of... This broadcast, so you know, I don't know what it's going to be, but right now, the Mets are in the lost column, a game behind LA, tied with Miami, tied with St. Louis, two up on Pittsburgh, basically a half a game behind Miami. And uh, if you look at the schedule now, the Nash, the the Marlins have a pretty easy time of it, as the Phillies go over out to uh, Miami for three. And I, I really, the Phillies right now, I'm not sure they're going to provide much help. The Mets come home and the Mets are going to be playing the Cardinals. Then after that, the Marlins will be playing the Cardinals, so somebody's going to lose. And in the midst of all this, the Dodgers, I think they have the easiest schedule after they play the Cardinals tonight, which, by the way, with the ESPN 8 o'clock game, maybe the Mets get a little bump with the Cardinals getting to New York. Uh, They're out in St. Louis getting to New York late. I don't know. I mean, who knows about that. But the Dodgers play the Cardinals. Then they come home to face Tampa, Arizona uh, over the next week, and then they go out to Colorado, and then they go to Boston. So they... They've got some, um, you know, they got some difficult games after that. It's never easy in Colorado, never easy in Boston. But the Nationals, here's where the Mets could really make some hay if they could have a good week. Uh, the Nats go to Cleveland, they're going to go to San Francisco, and they're going to go to Arizona. Even though the Diamondbacks haven't had a good year, I think they could make some. Uh, you know, the Diamondbacks are always a dangerous team out there in, in Arizona. Uh, so that's a tough road trip. And then the Nats come home after that to face the Giants in in Washington. So it'll be a chance for the Mets, who have not played well. Didn't really hit all that well all weekend, but got some key hits Friday and today. And, um, you know, an opportunity for them to go out and cut that deficit that's now five games in the lost column. And maybe still have a shot at this division. Now, again, as of this broadcast, as of of, uh, when you're taking this here on Sunday night, the Nats have not made a trade. Now, Papelbon imploded again today. You hear rumors that it's the Nationals and the Indians. Uh, and the Indians may have the best package in on a Chapman. And here's the best part about it is that Hal Steinbrenner, ownership group, still has not greenlit Brian Cashman to sell, which is amazing that the Yankees, uh, even if you believe that you're in the race, you want to go that route if you're the Yankees. Why would you hold on to three uh, end-of-the-game relievers? You don't need them. I mean, it makes for a great advantage, I mean but you're not in a situation where the starters give you any kind of length at any point to give you leads to use them on a consistent basis and if you have a chance with somebody who's a free agent to go out there and if it's a, if it is any kind of king's ransom that's being thrown at them, make the move and try to win with what you got. I mean, the Yankees are not a team that's starving for World Series championships. I understand, and I know this is not a Yankee show because where Chapman goes if he goes to Cleveland, then you know for the Mets, that's a good thing. The Mets have to keep an eye on this because you don't want him to go to the Nationals. I don't think Miami would have an opportunity to to bring him in. I don't think that that's something that they'd be looking to do. Um, so you have to keep an eye on the Dodgers. I mean, anywhere he goes, Chapman really cleans up the ninth inning. And if you have a closer already in that situation, and right now Papelbon is a shaky closer, he's probably better suited for uh, eighth inning work. And that would be interesting how that – if the Nationals did get Chapman, how would Papelbon take that, be moved to the eighth inning? He he could be somewhat mercurial at times. But uh, as of this broadcast of a couple of hours ago, the Yankees have still not – Yankees' ownership has still not given uh, Brian Cashman the green light to trade Chapman. And it seems like the Indians, the Cubs, the Nationals, and the Rangers, and there's a mystery team who knows who that is, are are, are vying for all this Chapman. I'm sure it's not the Mets. But – the Mets have a golden opportunity. they can, they can, got to continue to put their foot on the on the gas. And today I think you saw, and over the, the road trip, because the Mets won that game in Chicago, um, there's a couple of guys that aren't really talked about that I think uh, we should bring up here before we get to all the Piazza stuff. So it's James Loney and Jose Reyes. Now Reyes' numbers are not jumping off, sitting about 240, but he seems to be getting – Extra base hits. His speed helped them in Chicago in a game where he got that triple uh, that helped tie the game. Uh, you saw him with a big hit today. Uh, to me, at third base, he made a, that, that big double play at the end of the game in Chicago where uh, Familia uh, wormed his way out of it. He seems to, And I know he made the bonehead play in that same inning, but his arm at third base is good. He seems to be able to handle most anything that comes his way. Instinctually, that play with the dribbler, Uh, in Chicago, that you could forgive him a little bit. As an inexperienced third baseman, that's always tough. That ball was bouncing. Is it going to go foul? You knew it was the ninth inning. You didn't want to have to go out and and allow a base runner. Uh, you got to let that one go. But other than that, I mean, can you really complain about Reyes at third base and the dimension he brings with speed and the gap power that this team really doesn't have? I mean, Reyes is where that that first run happened today before they were able to break out and get a couple of runs later in the ballgame. Now, as far as James Loney, who put the icing on the cake on Friday's game, you know, got a hit today, has played a pretty good first base. Been better on the scoops than he has been range-wise, but he's getting better with that. I mean, maybe he was a little bit rusty. I really think you have yourself a bit of a dilemma if and when Lucas Duda comes back. And by all accounts, Lucas Duda is not going to be back for probably another month, probably the September call-ups when Duda comes back. I don't think it's a shoe in that you sit Loney. You really don't. So – and I know you probably guys are thinking this is crazy saying it because I'm, I'm talking about sitting a guy with, with power, 30 home run power for a guy who who is basically singles, but defensively with the kind of contact and how he could fit into the lineup. I'm not saying don't play Duda at all, but I'm not really sure I want to all of a sudden just throw Loney on the bench and give Duda an everyday spot. So it's going to be interesting how that plays out. Now the third component of all this is Michael Conforto and how he's going to fit into the lineup. I'm not really comfortable with Michael Conforto in center field. I'll be perfectly honest. Only two years ago when this kid was coming up through the minors, you heard about how he's horrible defensively and he's a DH. And we've seen him play very well in the corners, throwing some guys at the plate, he's got a good arm. And historically, the Mets have really not had much luck with converting these guys to center fielders. Now, I'm not trying to say Conforto is going to be Keith Miller out there or Juan Samuel out there or Howard Johnson, but you're asking him to play a premium defensive position and continue to work on what was the reason he got sent down to the offense at the same time. That usually doesn't work. Now he made a nice play today, got a couple of hits. Uh, It looks like it's going to be really the whole Conforto in center field is a six-inning thing because the minute they had a lead late, Collins brought in Lagarus, and I think that's what's going to happen, and that's what should happen. I I don't understand how if you say Curtis Granderson doesn't have the range for center field – what makes you think Conforto has any better range? But look, I'm going to sit back and knowing that it's probably not just Collins and the coaching staff at the field level that's making this decision. This is going way up the line, all the way up to Alderson in the front office. They're the ones doing the metrics. They're the ones uh, you know, trying to figure out if this works. That's where this is all going. Um, you know, I'm going to trust them at this point that they know something that we don't. But it doesn't exactly make me comfortable I want to see Conforto in the lineup. Uh, right now, and, and, and I'll get to this with Sal in a little bit. I had a chance to catch up with Sal before the game today. Yes, the best lineup would be Conforto, Granderson, and Cespedes at center. But Cespedes right now has a bad quad, and maybe center field the reason why it's a bad quad. And he probably should have went on the disabled list. He's taking one for the team. He's still a little gimpy out there. The last thing you want is a guy pulling his quad and being out six weeks. They can't afford that right now. It's, you know We're pretty much into August. At this time next week, It'll be the day before the deadline. We're heading into the dog days of August. It's not early anymore. So we'll see how this whole Conforto and center field thing uh, plays. I'm not sure. Test number one, which was today, of uh, pretty much a full game, an important game, a tight game, started off with a bang, with a big play. If that gets by him, that might be an inside-the-park home run in uh, that that first at-bat. That might be an inside-the-park home run the way that, that, that this ballpark in Miami plays, so. Uh, you know, that's where you're at. I mean, again, critical, critical homestand. The Mets could go out there in these nine games. They're playing the Yankees in a week. They play Colorado. The, the St. Louis series, you got to get off to a good start. you got to take two out of three. You just got to keep taking two out of three. You take two out of three, you win series, good things will happen. This was an acceptable road trip. I was a little disappointed how they didn't look competitive in that third game in Chicago. But, look, the Cubs were bound to take two out of three. The Cubs weren't going to let the Mets go in and waltz past them again. And uh, they had a big win in that series. Uh, They did what they had to do in Philadelphia. They probably should have won all three in Philadelphia. But, again, you take five and four, you move on, and now you try to push forward. you got to push for that 10 games over 500. That's where you want to start. That's where you want to take off. And then you continue to inch closer and closer to the Washington Nationals and see where uh, where this takes you. Just keep winning series. Keep winning series. You're either going to be in the wild card, and if the Nats continue to implode, and don't address the bullpen, you'll be within striking distance of the division. Although I still think the Nats um, have put themselves in a good spot where it's going to be really tough uh, for them to. Uh, I don't think they're going to collapse like they did a year ago, but but I digress on that. So anyway, uh, let's take a quick break. Play a little montage of Mike Piazza highlights. Like I said, you'll hear some uh, clips from his speech as the program goes on, and uh, you know we'll get to Salacca. I had a chance to catch up with Salacca. W O R uh, SNY, uh, before the Mets play the Marlins today. You are listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check out the show all the time at MetsMorizedonline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. We'll be right back.
1: Number 31,
2: Rester, Mike Piazza. Piazza rips it. Will it stay fair?
0: When you see the type of power and the type of solid stroke that Mike has, I'm telling you, you can go through the history books. You can go through any age of history. You'll find very few people who had that tremendous ability.
1: High fly ball to deep left field. Way, way back.
2: It's going. Yeah, there it goes. Mike Piazza, a three-run homer. A high drive to center. Bernie back on the track, near the wall, a grand slam. Piazza hit the ball right over the 408-foot sign at dead center. It's a grand slam, Piazza Black. 2-1 to Piazza. Hit in the air to deep right center. Deep right field. This baby's over. Mets win. Mets win. Piazza's going to be the battle. And it's a deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Come run by Piazza. And the Mets lead 3-2. to two. It was almost like a blur to me. It was almost like a dream, sort of surreal.
1: And here's the man the Mets want up in this spot. Down a run late in the game. Yeah. Fly
2: ball to right field. It's pretty deep. Back goes lighter on the track, at the wall. It's out of here! Mike Piazza with an opposite field three run homer. Two, two to Piazza. Swinging a drive toward the gap in right center field. It's deep. Looking up his algo. It's out of here! Piazza goes deep. A three
1: run homer for Mike Piazza. Hampton with a count of three and one. For the first time since 1986. The
2: Mets are going to the World Series. Piazza's 32nd home run of the year, his 200th career home run. Right center field, hit well, and there's the record. Mike Piazza, the big board at Shea, and he is now officially the greatest home run hitting catcher in the history of the game.
0: We're back. Talking Mets, Mike Silva here, and I uh, hope you're doing well. And you just heard a montage of clips from Mike Piazza's playing career with the Mets. I'm sure some of those probably are events that you may have been at, maybe I've seen on TV, maybe bring you some chills. And uh, you'll hear some clips, and uh, especially his Hall of Fame speech, he brings up his uh, his Mets career. And I think it'll be really interesting you'll hear that. Uh, you know, right before we get to um, yeah, Salacata in a little bit. So, uh, anyway, where where I wanted to to go uh, is go back and and I don't know the age group of those listening to the podcast. I'm assuming there's there's a, a smorgasbord of of Mets fans from very young millennials all the way up to baby boomers who've been watching the team way longer than I, since the '60s, '62, some of you, but. I don't know what your experience was with Mike Piazza. Maybe you came in at the back end to it, but if you don't know, the acquisition of Mike Piazza and the fact that here we are today, almost 20 years after he was acquired, almost 20 years, 18 years later, was very unlikely. I remember it like it was yesterday. And and personally, I remember the 97 season. That's where you have to start where this whole Piazza narrative and how important and how game-changing it was. Because 1997... As the Mets went into that year, everybody had pegged them for 100 losses. Generation, Generation K was a mess. Dallas Green was, was, was fired. Bobby Valentine took over. The Mets were a huge disappointment in 96. They had done nothing between 96 and 97 to improve the team. But they brought in a, a guy that was struggling and was basically given away in John Old, Old Road, which would have been, been important. But the 97 Mets were pegged for 100 losses. They overachieved that year. Bobby Valentine, who I thought did an outstanding job throughout his tenure, the antithesis of what sometimes we talk about with Terry Collins, did more with less throughout his 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 managerial career, and he knew how to put players in a position to succeed, and that's why the Mets won 88 games, and they fell short to the 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 time, not the Miami Marlins, the Florida Marlins. I thought the Mets, and they they faded a little bit in August, and Te- in September could have won the wild card that year. Now, where that would have led them, I don't know. I mean, there was a lot of teams, um, the Braves, uh, you know, namely in front of them that that would have been very difficult. But Miami wound up winning, you know, going on a run, getting to the World Series, and winning the championship. So the Mets have this plucky, overachieving situation. And then the winter of 97 and 98, you knew they needed. They needed a big bat. They needed a number one starter. And all winter, as the, as the Marlins are doing their fire sale, you're hearing names like Kevin Brown, Gary Sheffield was a name that gets thrown around, especially considering that uh, the Mets had seemingly for five years, all the way back to his days with San Diego, were always in on Gary Sheffield. You know, there was rumors that Gary Sheffield was coming to the Mets when the Padres traded him to the Marlins back in 1993. Um, so that was like an annual thing at that time. So 98 rolls around. The Mets have this plucky team, but – you know, From the landscape of New York sports, they were so far behind the Yankees who had won a World Series and were the sexy team and were building this brand. The Knicks were still the Knicks, and you had the Rangers still fresh off of a cup. The Jets and the Giants, Parcells was coming in for the for the Jets. The Giants were so, you know still the Giants. So the Mets were kind of way behind when it came to the news cycle. So the diehards, and the attendance showed it, the diehards were interested in the Mets, but the New York fan that's on the peripheral wasn't. And then that day that Mike Piazza in May was acquired, and let me tell you how big this was for Mets fans. I remember that day very well, and I remember uh, leading up to it. And when the, I remember exactly where I was. I was leaving the Flushing Home Depot. I was working in another life at the Flushing Home Depot, and I left. They got in my car, and as I was getting on the Van Wick Expressway, I had Mike and the Mad Dog on, and a friend of mine who was working with me was driving in the lane next to me. And I remember hearing him like, wow, that's a game changer. I remember honking the horn and telling my buddy to roll the window down. The Mets got Mike Piazza. I mean, this was huge. This became like, okay, the Mets are now must-see. And it was a risk. You look back, you had Preston Wilson, Ed Yarnell were top prospects. Uh, Getz was a a, a low-level prospect but a top prospect. But those were the Mets. I mean, Preston Wilson was a guy who had been brought up to inject some offense into the Mets a couple of weeks earlier. Yarnell was a top pitching prospect, and Piazza was a free agent. And everybody, I remember all summer, everybody said Piazza's is not going to resign. You kept hearing the Cubs, the Rockies, I mean, even the Yankees. I mean, you heard rumors that the Yankees were going to sign Piazza. They had Posada, and you were like, okay, what's you know? It, it was always the Yankees were always the the the, the scary uh, straw man, boogeyman in the closet. Every 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 player the Yankees were in on, it was like, well, what does this guy fit? All oh, the Yankees are in on. It. So. And they got off to a rocky start. He had a hard summer. He didn't get big hits. The fans booed him. Uh, I remember there was even some debate. Were well, Yankee fans so bored about the Yankees having a big season that year that they would come to uh, Shea Stadium and boo just to foil the Mets' opportunity to sign Piazza? That was actually something talked about. And then came September, and it came I – He mean, he hit uh, – and I'll have to bring up the numbers here, but, I mean, he had a huge September OPS over 1,000 he had that big series in Houston and uh and it was when he had those home runs in Houston really to me that's when he started to become one of the one of the guys one of the Mets and you knew and and what was important was it wasn't just Piazza that was a free agent Al Leiter who had a good year in 1998 was a free agent so the Mets number one pitcher and the number one offensive player were free agents and they'd given up some talent they give AJ Burnett to get uh, lighter. So the Mets had a lot invested in bringing these guys back, and that's September where it ended poorly. They had lost the game to the Expos and the Marlins, and uh, they got swept in Atlanta, so it ended poorly. But the ironic part about that is that you always were optimistic, and I remember always being optimistic that they were going to sign those guys because I just felt the way the season ended, how exciting it was, how they got a taste of how good winning in New York could be, Left them with enough to say if the money's right, and it's always about the money, then this is the place to be. Piazza hit 378 in September with a 457 on base, 720 slugging. I mean, 1.177 OPS, six homers, 22 RBIs. He had 14 homers and 52 RBIs over the final 53, an RBI a game over the final 53 games. And by the way, as the fans were booing Piazza throughout the summer, other than May, which was when he had that transition over from the Marlins to the Mets, and you got to figure he had a 646 OPS. He was hitting over 300, so the Mets are, the fans are booing a guy, now he wasn't driving in runs, the fans are booing a guy hitting over 300, which is amazing, but anyway, the Mets stepped up, and that was always, even back then the were were, were co-owners were criticized there was always that money component, but the Mets stepped up, and they signed both Leiter and Piazza during the moratorium which if I'm not mistaken was about 15 days after the World Series. They got both those guys locked up, and they set themselves up for 1999. Everybody's going to talk about Piazza and the 9-11 home run, and and that's certainly a big home run. And I could understand because of the nature of that event how that could be what your Piazza memory is. But for me, when I think of Mike Piazza, I think of the summer of ninety nine and that great run and that great fun team that has always been special. And I think of 2000 and getting to the World Series and then getting into 2001, which was disappointing. And then that 9-11 situation, and and they just fell a little short against the Braves. But from 1998, when he came on to 2001, that's the heart of my Piazza memories. And sure, he broke the catcher's record in 2003, and he was part of the, the 2005 team that began the rise under Carlos Beltran. But that's the sweet spot. To me, that was Piazza. And that's where I'm not going to – maybe I'm overstating by saying it's the golden age of, of New York baseball because all those guys in the 50s that were around said that was the golden age. But if, if you're a New York baseball fan, I mean how can it get better than those initial Subway series? Piazza coming in, the Yankees who were uh, 96 world champs, 1 in 98, and who were affronted that the Mets actually were trying to take some part of the city back. They, I mean they didn't like it. So those games were intense. You had the Mac Franco game, which I played that clip. Uh, during some of the breaks and intermissions on this podcast, uh, you had Piazza Clemens, you had the actual Subway Series, which you know the Mets just did not play well, and they easily could have flipped that, and it could have been four games to one the other way. So, if you're a Mets fan and you look at that arc, you know you you look at the Mets in the '80s, and I was a young guy just getting into baseball, and it, it, it ticked down after '86. It was a tick down, and it, it bottomed out in 1991, 92, 93. And then if it was the, uh, uh, it was inching ever so closely up, and the environment was so bad in those early nineties with Torborg and Dallas Green and Jeff Kenton, the organization did not have infrastructure to to build and 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 develop players. They just didn't. They didn't have a good culture. They didn't have good veterans. I don't think they knew what they were. They were they were stuck trying to you know win the back headlines and, and continue to to push the magic of the eighties uh, forward. Versus just bottoming it out. They should have just bottomed it out. There was a point where they should have admitted that, and they kind of played it halfway until they realized that they couldn't when they lost over 100 games in 93. But when Piazza came back, that little inching up swung it up, and then they were relevant again. And it's a shame that there were some things that didn't go well. You've you've heard Bobby Valentine. I don't know if you read the article, and I think it was the Wall Street Journal, how they were in on row. Maybe row coming in 2001 would have changed it, and they didn't get into the A-Rod sweepstakes, and Hampton left. And I know that got David right here, but... You lost your, your – your basically that was the guy that brought them to the World Series that prior year. So they never invested um, those latter parts of Piazza's contract. And he, let's face it, he was 29 when he came here, so the window for a catcher was, was starting to close. So you got a good three, four years out of Piazza. They nearly brought it home. Uh, it was a fun time in New York baseball, not to take away – I mean the 2006 Mets were a fun team. And I'll always remember that team. And last year's team was a hell of a blast from August 1st on. And that postseason run will always go down. And who knows what's going to happen this year. But I'll tell you what. It's going to take a lot, a hell of a lot, for the current group of Mets to – and they've got to win a championship to do it. If they don't, I don't know if they're going to be as fun as that 98, 99, 2000, and to a certain degree 2001 Mets. And how the Subway Series was, the intensity – and that was a team of grinders and gamers, and, and Piazza was right there. A little bit critical at times with his leadership because he was a leader by example. He was moody. And I'll tell you something. Throughout that entire summer, if you saw how unhappy he was, it was so un- unlikely that if you had told anybody, a reporter, me, anyone who was following the team during that time, that almost 20 years later we're going to be talking about Mike Piazza in the Hall of Fame, the actual Hall of Fame, and a week from now his, his number is going to be retired at City Field and the Mets would get to the World Series with him and nearly win it and play the Yankees. I think everybody would have thought you were crazy because all you kept hearing was he's going to the Cubs. Even up to the point where they actually acquired him, it was rumored that he was going to the Cubs. So, anyway, that's my uh, Piazza memories. Uh, let's take a break. When we return, you're going to hear uh, from Salacata, Salicata, of W-O-R-S-N-Y, and uh, we'll chat a little bit about his Mike Piazza memories. We'll get into some of the... Discussion he had on his uh, program on Thursday where he talked about uh, some of his concerns with Terry Collins, Michael Conforto, and Michael Conforto needing to play the outfield, and uh, whatever else is on his mind with the uh, New York Mets. You are listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. We'll be right back.
2: My lifelong friend and agent Danny Lozano, which I wish to thank for listening, for making me listen to him, told me that I was traded to the New York Mets. It was actually the last team that I had managed, that I imagined wanted me, but it was the most amazing experience any human being could have. I can't thank our general manager at the time, Steve Phillips, enough. Steve, you took a chance on me, and I'll be forever grateful. I would also like to thank owners Fred and Jeff Wilpon. No price could be put on the experience of playing in New York. Actually, Queens. How can I put my into words my thanks, love, and appreciation for New York Mets fans? Given me the greatest gift and have graciously taken me into your family. Looking out today at all the incredible sea of blue and orange brings back the greatest time of my life. You guys are serious. We didn't get off on the best foot, but we both stayed with it. At first I was pressing to make you cheer and wasn't doing the job. You didn't take it easy on me and I am better because of it. Sometimes a jockey whips a horse. It isn't always pleasant to watch, but it gets results. The eight years we spent together went by way too fast. The thing I miss most is making you cheer. No fans rock the house like Mets fans. You are passionate, loyal, intelligent, and love this great game. To be the only second Met to enter the Hall of Fame following Tom Siever brings me great pride and joy.
0: We're back talking Mets, and I'm happy to have with us uh, Sal Licata. You guys know Sal from SNY, a WOR, also Columbia Sports. You can check him out on Twitter at Sal underscore Licata. Here to talk a little bit about Mike Piazza and uh, the current state of the Mets. Sal, Mike Silva, long time no talk. How are you, my friend? Good. What's going on, Mike? How's everything? Uh, Not bad, and and great work on WOR. And I'll get to some of your uh, recent shows, because I thought you brought some really good topics about the current team. But it is Hall of Fame Induction Weekend, and Mike Piazza is uh, one of the inductees. And you're in the same age group as me. I was born in 77. You were born I was 79. 79. So I thought it was good to get your context going back to when you were in to meet you, you were still a fan. And as I was saying in the open, I don't know if fans in their 20s who are Mets fans now who probably know Piazza from late in his career with the Mets understand how game-changing that day that he came over was. And I uh, want to get some of your memories. What, what do you remember about it? And, and it was a game-changing day in the Mets history for sure. Yeah,
1: I remember, and honestly maybe a little weird story, but I remember
0: <clears throat>
1: um, I was dating This girl at the time was like my first serious girlfriend. I think it was, I had to be, what, 18, 19, whatever it was. And I remember breaking up with her right around May 21st, 1998, and being crushed, you know, your first relationship and all those different things. And a day or two later, the Mets announced that they're getting Piazza, and I basically did not care anymore. It was something for me personally at the time I needed to have that escape and get over the depression, of breaking up with a girlfriend, and the fact that Piazza was coming to New York, just, like, such a huge deal. It changed everything. You get excited about going to the games more, and it makes the match more relevant, and, you know, even though they didn't make the postseason in 98, they made a great push and had had a fun run, so for me, personally, dealing with that breakup, you know, the first breakup, which is always a tough thing to go through... But getting Mike Piazza, I always said that was a great trade-off. I do it anytime kind of Mets trading for Piazza, but if you lose a girlfriend, they, they can be replaced. Guys like Piazza don't come around too often.
0: That, that's true, and anytime you're a fan and you have a big moment, it's amazing how personal stories uh, bleed into that. But for fans to realize, Mets losing the NLCS in 88, it was a steady decline after that of that team. And uh, as a New York sports fan, the Mets may not have been the most irrelevant team out there. But they weren't much more talked about than the Islanders and the Nets. I mean, typically if you were a Mets fan and you watched football and the Knicks, baseball was what got you through until Knicks basketball and through the NFL season. I know that's hard to fathom now because of how popular baseball is. But post-strike, especially if you were a Mets fan, you didn't want to hear what was going on with the Yankees. And that's the part I remember how this breathed life into the diehard Mets fans like myself. where You know what? Now we can be at the table with the other New York sports fans with this franchise.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, the Yankees clearly owned the town, which was uh infuriating. I mean, prior to '96, I never thought the Yankees would win a World Series. I mean, again, I should say. Uh And then, of course, not only did they win in '96, but they kept winning '98, '99, 2000. So, you know, the you know the history. But once, once Piazza came, it, it just gave it, it, the, the Mets man really a, a nice piece of meat to to chew on there for a while and have
0: have their superstar guy. What I'm surprised about today, if you had told me back in the summer of 98 that not only Piazza would be inducted into the Hall of Fame, we knew that, but that he'd go in as a Met. Uh, I don't know if you remember. There was a a lot of booing that summer when he wasn't producing. It wasn't until that incredible run he had, uh, typically that series in Houston with those home runs in September, that you started to feel he was one of yours. Uh, It didn't look like he was going to come. He didn't look happy. And – I mean, everybody had him penciled in for either Colorado or Chicago. So, you know, fast forwarding ahead, this is somewhat unlikely. Not as unlikely as him making the Hall of Fame as a 62nd round pick, but I don't know if I went to a young Salicot in the summer of '98 and said, Piazza's going to stay with the Mets and be going to the Hall of Fame as a New York Mets. I don't know if, if you would necessarily believe that or signed up for that. I mean, I
1: that was maybe bullish enough to. You know, say it and want to believe it, but I think realistically, and you remember the debate back and forth, even amongst Met fans themselves, oh, he's a mad, he's not a Dodger, you know, or oh, he's going to go in as a Dodger, all those different things. So, you know, prior to Piazza coming here, I would have said Hundley was the best offensive catcher of all time. Coming off 41 homers and all those different things, that's just how blinded I was by being a Met fan. Then, of course, Piazza comes in and you see real greatness, and you understand that the guy is a special player, a Hall of Famer, but no question, uh, I hope that he would go into the Met, I was always nervous, though, that he would, in fact, go into the as a Dodger. Hard to, it's hard to make a, you know, I think you can make a legit argument either way for the Dodgers and Mets, so it was hard to say one way or another at the time that, oh, he's definitely going as the Met or he's definitely going as the Dodger, but numbers with the Dodgers certainly worried me
0: uh, at, at times. I have with me Salicata, uh, S-N-Y, W-O-R, uh, talking a little bit of Mets, Piazza. Everybody talks about the 9-11 home run, and I get why they talk about that, but my memory of what I think of Mike Piazza, and and it's almost like that little golden age of the subway series, both the regular season and the the actual one in the World Series, from 97, I'll even say, because that first subway series was really cool, but when Piazza got here in 98 through about 2001, to me, that's what I remember about Mm -hmm. Piazza, the moments, those seasons, typically 99, uh, that summer, I remember very well. Um, not that Mike didn't have great moments after, but that to me is the sweet spot. And the Subway Series particularly has never felt the same since then. And I know the Mets had a great season last year in 2006, but those 99-2000, that two-year run, that, that to me still has a very special place in, in the hearts of Mets fans who are old enough and, and mature enough to understand it and, and watch it.
1: Well, because it was the beginning of it. I mean, it was the beginning, and you had the essentially unbeatable Yankees you know, dominating not only the town, but they were dominating baseball. So then you had, uh, you know, here come the Little Mets and trying to, you know, uh, take on the big, bad Yankees. And we know the Dave Malecki game in 97, which was great. But then once they had Piazza, they actually had a chance to win some of these series. And the Matt Franco game was just tremendous. The back and forth Piazza hitting a big homer. I mean, as he did almost every series against the Yankees in the regular season. So those Subway series, and I'm with you, and I need to make a point to go to at least two at Shea, but probably all three at Shea, and at least one in Yankee Stadium, whatever, you know, however they did the series. But I, I haven't gone in years just because it isn't the same. It's not the same for me. I think it's been watered down. But when that first was going on, it was special. And, man, having Piazza, it, it it made it easier to go to the ballpark against dealing with the Yankee fans once Piazza was on the net side.
0: Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, this is kind of a week early, and, and I don't know if there's any solution to it maybe both teams uh, in a different time going forward but it hasn't felt the same i'm actually not because i'm i'm uh, you know upset about the mets losing or if you're a yankees fan they're upset about the yankees losing it doesn't seem either side is into this anymore and um, yeah. i don't know if it'll ever feel the same and that's that's something i've been asking myself what can you do to make this feel the same because even when they were both in 06 and 07 and 08 going at it i don't know if they were the same those series maybe i'm maybe no, they do not know if they it, were the you, same they play too
1: often, Mike. Yeah, they, have, they have to limit the amount of times that they play, maybe if they played every five years or even if they did every three years. If they played one series every three years, it would make it more interesting to me, I think. Now, you know, they play idea. twice a year, both ballparks. Yeah, all right, it's, a, it's an okay four games, but it's not as – I mean, that was dire back then, dire as a fan, that so you want to win those two out of three. And, you, you, you know, whether you had just – Remember, it wasn't even always that they played two series. It was that they played one series a year. So uh, you wanted to make sure that you got the, you get the two out of three. So I think they need to limit it, and which they won't, because usually those games are sellouts if not close to it.
0: And you, uh, if you follow Sal on Twitter, at Sal underscore Licata, you put up a, an autograph of Piazza that you got, I guess, uh, at some point during his tenure with the Mets. Any fun story about that day and that experience? And I just you remember the P- – Yeah, I just remember that Piazza was always,
1: I used to go early with my buddy to the games, and whether you wait before or wait after, you know, sometimes we would do that to get autographs, mostly before you go early, and Piazza would never really sign. He was always a tough guy to spot, and I I don't know, he was just, you know, some guys would be easier to access than others, and rightfully so, you know, Piazza was a star, you had people waiting out there looking to make money, all these autographs and everything like that. And the one time I remember we were hanging out late after a game. It was an afternoon game. And we ended up walking back to the parking lot back where at Old Shea, where the players used to come through, you know, back in the bullpen and walk to their cars. And the guards were saying, like, oh, you know, everybody's gone. That's it. And Piazza still had not come out. And we just happened to be there and see him walking out. And he stopped and signed for a couple of people. And, I, you know, to me, that was just like, oh, my God. At the time, I don't, I'm not sure what year. It was probably 99-2000, I would think, uh, to having – you know, Piazza be able to stop and find like that was just I mean, think about it, at the time, he's just a mega star and obviously a Hall of Famer. Uh yeah. in a few hours he'll
0: be officially a Hall of Famer. So that was that was a fun day. Absolutely I have with me, Sal of W R S N Y. Um taking out the nine eleven moment, is there a game that you were at that you have a Piazza memory outside of maybe that autograph situation? Uh you know, I personally was at Couple of games. The one off, you know, we hit the home run off of Trevor Hoffman, the one where he hit that home run off of Clemens in, in the Subway Series, but those stand out to me. I don't know if you have one, even if it's obscure, that, that you remember being at the game and, and saying, oh, wow, that, that's a pretty cool Piazza moment that I'll always take home with me.
1: My two favorite Piazza homers, I mean, there are so many, but I'll just give you two favorite real quick. One I was not at. It was, I think, the biggest home run that he's ever hit, and that was Game 6. NLCS, 1999, opposite field off of Smoltz. If you remember the, the inning before, two innings before, Brian Jordan slid in hard to home plate, the swipe, right. took Piazza's legs out from under him. He got ticked off, and you just knew that when he came off, he was going to do damage, and he hit. I think it was a three-run homer off of Smoltz opposite field to tie the game. So that was, I think, the best homer. But the best one I was at was that huge comeback against the Braves and I guess it was June or July, and it was firework night. And remember, at the time, the Mets were just getting owned by the Braves constantly. I remember talking to my friend. I'm like, let's get out of here. I can't even take it anymore. He's like, no, 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 <laughs> yeah. let's stay. It's, fi- it's fireworks night. It happened to be fireworks night. And came back. They tied the game, and then Piazza comes up. And, you, you knew, again, you just knew it because he did it every moment. And he hit a monster home run the, the liner down the left field line. That place just erupted like never before. So that was probably my favorite game.
0: And that I'm sure you experienced that. If I was in the upper deck, that place used to uh, used to shake. I don't really think City Field shakes quite like that. And uh, that was John Rocker's return weekend. I remember I was at the game before that when Rocker came in. So uh, that was a rowdy weekend because the fans wanted blood with Rocker. That was uh, that was certainly a fun weekend for 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 sure. Yeah, I hated that you. Guy. Yeah, you, uh, you. also made up a great point that that plays in today mm-hmm. about the uh, sliding into home plate and piazza and all those things. And it's funny today you can't do any of that stuff. The Mets' best offensive player, and one of the only criticisms I could say about Piazza is that he never really embraced even a little bit of first base to help them out. But that's a whole separate story. Here he is. He gets clobbered at home. Uh, Brian Jordan would be brought up on criminal charges for that today. And look, not only did he survive Piazza, he goes out and hits a three-run homer. Uh, how the game has changed, and think about how maybe that would have Piazza some of the rules today, preserve him a little bit, because he would get gassed at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's any question to it. I mean, what it, it, the way it, and the rules probably uh you know should have been like that, protecting the catcher, trying to help those guys uh, stay healthier. But I mean, to think what Piazza did in that day and age. Now I know you could bring up amphetamines or bring up steroids and all those different things, but all things being equal, to to see what he did as a catcher is just it's even more so remarkable. It would be remarkable for any player, but as a catcher, even more so.
0: And and on that note, I mean, I don't know if he did any hardcore anabolic steroids, but a lot of people forget if Piazza or anybody brought stuff. I think even Randy Johnson admitted that from GNC. Look, I had guys taking stuff that were friends of mine to look good at the beach. They weren't playing professional baseball, you know. So I don't know if necessarily that's an illegal thing. Now maybe that stuff wasn't FDA regulated, and later on we all got smarter about it, but sometimes I think that people forget that it wasn't like you had to go to Mexico to get some of the stuff that players were, were taking that uh, were over the counter and, and legal in the United States.
1: Yeah. And I look, whether he did or didn't, I, I don't know. I honestly don't care. I don't care that Barry Bonds did it. I don't care if Mike Piazza did it. He's still my favorite player that I've seen watched before because, because providing all those different moments. And I don't uh, think there's a drug out there that can make you good at it uh, or make you as great as he was in, Specific moments.
0: That's for sure, and and if there was, I think you and I would have taken it to get at least a piece of the the baseball pie out there. So uh, I would be Salicata W R S N Y. Sal, onto the current team. You know, you had a a great show on Thursday on O R, and you brought up something that I've been talking about a little bit. I don't know how many fans really talk about it. I don't. I know it doesn't get talked about a lot on talk radio. You finally brought up the idea that you know maybe the Mets could do better than Terry Collins, and specifically you tied it into his utilization of Conforto. You said something along the lines, and I agree with it 100%, but I'll add to it. He hasn't really been good since the World Series. I'll say this. Terry Collins hasn't been good since he got here. It just wasn't noticed when the Mets weren't really relevant. He doesn't manage a bullpen well. I think sometimes some of the things he does do well with the clubhouse are things that really a manager just should do. And, um, you know, Sandy Alderson said after the All-Star break that he expects to make the playoffs. I don't know if that's a missive or not, but I certainly think that if they don't make the playoffs, that would reflect on the management team. Um, I noticed on your Twitter feed you're starting to get really agitated about the Conforto situation. Um, kudos to you because I think you're really the only one that's starting to question and play out there, can the Mets do better in the dugout?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't think there is any question that they can do better. Now, let me preface it by saying I like Eric Collins. I like his passion. I like his fire. I like his energy. I like that he's kind of loose-lipped and doesn't not uh, a robot up there like like other managers that other managers that you see. But I do think he cost him a couple times in the World Series, Uh and I do think he's cost him at times this year. Now, there's a lot that's gone wrong that's out of his control. Injuries, we know all that. The way the roster was constructed, but The idea that you're going to sit Conforto, you're going to back Conforto 8, you can't do it. On a team that needs offense, in my mind, he's the second-best offensive player on the team. I don't care what his numbers say since April. I don't care that they send him down. He's the guy I trust more than anybody up there uh, outside of UNSF. So uh, the way that they're handling him is a major, major problem to me. And he's the manager, so he's going to get the brunt of it. If it comes from higher than him, then those guys should get the brunt of it. But that's got to get rectified, and it's got to get rectified now because they don't have any time to waste
0: yeah they're they're in this wild card See, the thing is i mean caporto had one uh attempt put out last night looked fine it was an easy fly ball i don't know of him in center field i mean this is a guy who was drafted and all we heard is that he's a dh and all of a sudden he comes up and he's like well this guy's not that bad certainly has a good arm now you're throwing him to center field historically the mets do this it doesn't end well you probably remembered Howard Johnson and Juan Samuel and Keith Miller out there. Now I'm not saying he's like that. I think the real question is that you put Granderson in center, hold your nose because he probably has the most experience. Uh, put Conforto in right, Cespedes in left. And I know you talked about Cespedes and how you were a little disappointed that he didn't take it, uh, you know, take one for the team and say, "Hey, let me play through the pain in center field." Oh. But personally, Sal, I think he's a little gimpy out there right now. So I don't oh, know if you want him fielder. in center
1: field. Well, he's the center what fielder. Happened? If he can't play, if he can't, he's the center fielder. If he can't play center field, I don't care if he's hurt. If he can't play center field, then they need to put him on the bench.
0: And, maybe he should be on, uh, maybe if, they should have put if, him on the DL. Maybe they should oh, Maybe that's, a, in hindsight, that was a problem that they didn't do. They, they kept him too long just to rest him playing short. I don't know. That's just something I look yeah. at out there.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's like I said, something they get they gotta rectify because they can't go. You, you can't have Lagares playing against Jose Fernandez in center field. I don't care how big the ballpark is. Conforto's got to be in there, so they gotta figure it out. First base, left field, right field, somehow, some way, Conforto's gotta be in there. And I think he should be playing left field myself, but I second option should be Granderson in center and Conforto and right.
0: Put the GM hat on, Sal. Um, what would you do at the deadline? What do you feel is the biggest need? And uh, would you do some? Would you try to do something really big, and 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 sacrifice whatever prospects they have left? Are, are you looking just to uh, no? On? I'm, what not, you, I'm looking. What you're looking to do? I'm
1: looking to just get some bullpen arms. I think they have the pieces here that they need. I just think that they need to use them. <laughs> I don't think there's a bigger bat that they could find out there that has the potential of. So and you're certainly not going to give up more after you gave up stuff last year uh, to get Cespedes and other pieces. So they're not doing that. I would just go out and get a couple of bullpen pieces. The other thing is, is the idea you could maybe trade Duda and Darno. Now that would maybe be in the blockbuster area. I'm not sure that's trade for now, as opposed to the offseason. season. But outside of trading Duda and Darno and whatever prospects, there's there's not much you could do. And I won't have a problem when they don't do anything other than add some bullpen arms. I just think the guys here have to start performing.
0: Well, I I agree with that. You know, you brought up on the show uh, on OR about their schedule being weak at the end of the year. That's true. See, what concerns me about that is that this team doesn't do the little things. Keith Hernandez has been talking a lot about that the last few nights. I don't care who you're playing. You could be playing, you know, uh, uh, the local beer league team. If you don't execute, these are big league players. You're going to lose. I, I, I agree with you. I expect them to be in the playoffs. I don't know if the Marlins are sustainable. The Cardinals have been spotty all year. I mean, the, the, everybody's flawed in that little muck in, in, in the wild card. The Mets, on paper, should be the best team, but. Something doesn't, and Bob Clapish said this to me last week when I had him on, just something doesn't feel right. And I know you're using that last stretch as maybe the panacea, but even so, Sal, something doesn't feel right. And uh, we'll see today, uh, you know, the final game of the series coming up, but, um, you know, it just it seems like it's just not going to happen. I don't know if that's just pessimism coming out in me. Sometimes, no,
1: but sometimes it's not your year, and that's okay. I mean, you know, it, it happens, but. I respect the fact that they built a team that should be able to contend for the World Series. If they've been ravaged by injury, I just think that they could they could still be better. I don't think the Nationals are that good, and I don't think the Marlins are that good. I think the Mets, even now, with all the injuries, can still win the division. So, I, I just don't think it's acceptable to have Conforto up here benching him. So, I think in that area, they could do a little better. And if the pitching stays healthy, garden match, I believe in them. I think the ground will be fine. So, I, I still think that this team, even as currently constructed as off as it may seem, still has a chance at the division. At the very least, it should be a wild card.
0: So before I let you go, what do you have coming up? We know we hear you on OR, um, also on uh, SNY. Anything you want to let the listeners know about where they could find you? I know on Twitter, at Sal underscore Lakata as as well. Yeah,
1: no, not really. Same same, same stuff, uh, SNY pretty regularly, and and, then and OR during Mets off days and on uh, after afternoon games, too. So I've uh, been having some fun doing that. And, of course, like you said, always always have some fun giving some opinion on Twitter.
0: All right. Hey, listen, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Appreciate a few minutes, and uh, let's do it again, okay, my friend? No problem, Mike. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. And that's Sal Lakata. You can check out Sal, at Sal underscore Licata on uh, Twitter good stuff. And uh, we are almost done here. We're almost out of time, but let me take a quick break. You'll hear one more clip of Piazza's speech, a very touching part of his speech when he uh, credits his father and uh, particularly look, his father was a major driver to Piazza with the connections he used to get uh, Ted Williams to his house and Tommy Lasorda to give him a chance. And, And if you read Mike's book, uh, that came out a couple of years ago. I mean, he really, Mike had a chip on his shoulder. And even Al Leiter said this on MLB Network to Steve Phillips uh, late this week when he had him on is that maybe that's what made him so great that chip on his shoulder, that grudge that got him to where he, he is. Nobody believed in him, but there was one person that believed in him, it was his dad. His dad really pushed him. And sometimes you wonder, I mean, does the guy do this for himself or his father? But, you know, certainly you hear uh, in Piazza's speech, you'll hear that clip coming up. How appreciative is of his dad and his dad who had a stroke and uh, did not look good when I was at uh, actually covered for the old uh, ESPN Champions Radio covered Piazza's uh, uh, the Piazza day that they had when he was elected into the Mets Hall of Fame back in 2013. His his father had just had a stroke and wasn't looking that good and I'm glad that he seems to be doing better and he had a chance to uh, make it. You know, there's always that mortality that everybody faces at a certain point in their life, but he had a chance to see Mike get abducted into the Hall of Fame. So you could definitely uh, hear this touching moment as Piazza talks about his dad. So let's take a quick break. You're uh, listening to the Talking Mets podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva. We'll uh, hear this little clip, and then we'll wrap up right after this. My
2: father, Vince, was a son of Italian immigrants. He's so proud of his Italian heritage. Una grazie infinito al paese Italia che ha fatto il regale di mio padre. My dad always dreamed of playing in the Major Leagues for his all-American love of baseball. He cannot follow that dream as the realities of life and having to support his family forced him to work. He built a great business and employed many people. My father's faith in me, often greater than my own, is the single most important factor of me being inducted into this Hall of Fame. Thank you, Dad. I know he watched every game, cried when I cried, was angry when I was angry, and celebrated more than I could ever celebrate. He is a man deeply devoted to his family and after having suffered a major stroke a few years ago, is stronger willed than ever. We made it, Dad. The race is over. Now it's time to smell the roses.
0: We're back. Final segment here, Talk to Mets podcast. I hope you enjoyed uh, some of the work throughout the show, some of the highlights. You heard some uh, of the clips from the hall of fame speech for piazza of course i uh, want to wrap up and before i do the uh, final uh, thank yous here i want to remind everybody that you have a chance to uh, even win a little bit of swag here on the talking mets podcast have you how would you like to get all your favorite Mets merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep if you check out fanessentials.net all you do is pick your favorite team and in this case it'll be the mets and every month you get mets gear shipped right to your door they find the sports gear, so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with some amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at $34.99. Visit FanEssentials.net and use promo code TALKINGMET to at checkout for 30% off your first month. Visit FanEssentials.net to get all the essentials you need. And here's even better. I'll give you a chance to get a free month you have to have to, if you listen to the show, and then you get on Twitter later in the week. And I try to do it sometime between Tuesday and Friday. I give a trivia question. And then you can win a free month to Trial Fan Essentials. And hopefully they send you some Piazza stuff as part of your uh, your first uh, delivery. But let's see what I can do here. Um, I'll throw this out there. I'll say to everybody, what is the highway I was driving on when I heard about the Mike Piazza trade? I'm pretty sure. So if you're listening, it's the VanWick Expressway. So I'll throw a little, uh, a little curveball at you guys. So if you're really listening to the program – So when I heard about the Mike Piazza trade, I shared a little moment where, you know, those are those moments where you really hear, know that you're a sports fan, where you say, I remember where I was when. I mean, fans will remember where they were when Kennedy was shot. When there's any kind of historical thing, whether it's politics or the world or sports, you have a tendency to remember where you were, to connect events with that. So it would be interesting if you guys listen, and will you get it? I'll ask you, where was I? What highway was I driving on when – when uh, I was uh, hearing that Mike Piazza was acquired from the Florida Marlins in that uh, great May of 1998. So anyway, we're about out of time, so uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, I want to thank Sal Licata. You can check out Sal on Twitter, at Sal underscore Licata. Of course, you can listen to the show all the time at com. Check it out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcasting service you choose. And you can check me out on Twitter, at Mike Sales Media. Have a great rest of the weekend. I'll see you guys all next week.